You're listening to Hear Arizona. Addressing issues, empowering our community. During and after the Second World War, the United States tested more than a thousand nuclear weapons across the country and over the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Hundreds of these were detonated in the American Southwest, mainly Nevada and New Mexico. While the test sites were far away from where Americans lived, the full effects of radiation exposure were not yet understood. The radioactive fallout produced by these explosions traveled hundreds of miles, deep into Arizona. It fell in places like Kingman and the Wallapai Nation, endangering thousands of people. Many of these residents would go on to develop a host of illnesses as a result of radiation exposure. They are often known as downwinders. Like Colin Patillo's father, Ed, he was a teenager living in Kingman in the early 1950s, back when the nuclear testing began. Not only do we have my father who was an impacted downwinder, and he died of cancer, but my aunt um, died of cancer as well at a, a fairly young age. She was in her, in her, her, she was about 64, so she was in her mid-60s when she passed away in 2007. This is Inaccessible, a Here Arizona podcast. I'm Nate Boyle. This episode is about Arizonans who were exposed to radiation from the U.S. nuclear program, some of whom still struggle to receive adequate compensation from the government. We'll hear from a few Arizonans impacted by this exposure, and also from those who advocate for them. By the end of this episode, you'll come to understand how vast numbers of Arizonans who suffered serious medical issues because of government negligence remain seriously undersupported. First, I spoke with Lily Adams, Senior Outreach Coordinator with the Union of Concerned Scientists, a nonprofit that, among other things, analyzes the effects of nuclear testing on communities across the world. They advocate for affected communities and lobby on behalf of victims. She was able to shed some light on how this exposure actually happened. The U.S. Uh, did a huge amount of uranium mining starting in the 1940s, in order to produce nuclear weapons and employ thousands of people, many of whom are indigenous and especially from the Navajo Nation. And then in addition to that, there are all of the workers who worked in nuclear weapons production facilities or nuclear labs. And there are uh, hundreds of thousands of service members and now veterans who were involved in nuclear weapons activities, often involved with the tests and were, uh, could have been exposed to radiation through their service in that way as well. So this is a huge issue that usually gets uh, very little attention, uh, but you know that all of these community members are really still dealing with this today. Um, those illnesses are ongoing and the impacts on their environment, on their land are ongoing. Uh, so it is uh, definitely not an issue of the past and affects many people around the entire country. These affected populations were exposed to dangerous materials in a couple different ways. For uranium miners, um, that's often the most direct pathway of exposure when people are literally working in the mines or working with the uranium that is mined uh, and working in the processing of it. You know, they're getting direct exposure in the mines that's coming from radon, which is actually a really radioactive substance. 
so that is often actually exposure through like ingestion as well. You're breathing in radioactive dust or it's in the water that you're drinking. Nuclear explosions produce fallout, which can be sent by wind to areas hundreds of miles away from the original explosion. This is how downwinders became exposed. So iodine-131 is one of the main isotopes of concern in radioactive fallout from testing. And iodine-131 has a pretty short half-life of just eight days. But um, in that time, what would happen after the test is that it's plenty of time for that, uh, for the fallout to be carried by winds and then to settle on the land. That sometimes means that people could actually just inhale if this is like sort of in the dust or, um, uh, it, you know, in the surrounding air. Um, but it would often land on food um, and then would land on grazing land. And this was actually the way that people were most impacted by iodine-131 is that iodine settles on grasses and other vegetation it's eaten by cows and goats, and then it accumulates in those animals. And then when people would drink milk from cows or goats, then it would, uh, that's how they would become contaminated. So this was the main, it's called the milk iodine pathway. And that was the main way that uh, people across the U.S. were exposed from testing. And this exposure caused a wide variety of health issues, some of them fatal. In places like the Marshall Islands in the Pacific, U.S. nuclear testing forced many from their homes before exposing them to dangerous levels of radiation. In cases of lower doses of radiation, yes, the one of the most prevalent health risks is cancer because radiation damages the DNA and that can lead to cancer. And there's um, a number of what we call radiogenic cancers that are those that are linked to radiation exposure. Um, but there are also other non-cancer health effects. Uh, cancer has been the most thoroughly studied, but there are uh, lots of other issues. I mentioned thyroid cancer earlier. There are other thyroid illnesses that can still have you know, lifelong ramifications, um, hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. Uh, there's an illness called Hashimoto's disease. Such illnesses can lead to a lifetime of complications and a lifetime of expensive medical treatment. The Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, passed in 1990 and administered by the Department of Justice, provides financial assistance to people who developed illnesses as a result of exposure. So the Radiation Exposure Compensation Program has three different levels of compensation. There's a compensation available for downwinders, and those are individuals who were in a covered area or an area around the Nevada test site or in test sites that were located in the Pacific. Um, a second component of the program is the on-site participants. And those individuals were actually on-site on the Nevada test site, or they were in the Pacific Ocean area and they were dealing with um, testing that was happening out in the ocean. And then the third portion of the program is for uranium workers. So millers, miners, and ore transporters. And all three of those um, types of individuals could apply for compensation if they were directly exposed from their handling of uranium ore. That was Laura Taylor, a lawyer who represents affected residents and helps process their claims. She's helped roughly 1,500 claimants throughout her career. In order to successfully receive assistance, it must be proven that one either lives or once lived in a covered area and has one of the specific illnesses written in the law. This is where the problems start. 
oftentimes folks will call me and say, well, I have, I have endometrial cancer. Well, uterine and endometrial cancers are not covered, but ovarian is. So there's some interesting little distinctions in the program, things that are covered and things that are not. And there's been a lot of um, questioning from downwinders about why I have cancer, but it's not one of your covered cancers. Why can I not get compensation? So there is this kind of arbitrary picking of those illnesses that are covered and certain ones are not. So that can cause some frustration for folks. Things like thyroid cancer and other specific illnesses are generally easy to link to radiation exposure, but others aren't and therefore aren't included on the list of illnesses cited in the law, even if they may have resulted from exposure. In addition to proving you were in a covered county, you also have to prove that you had a compensable illness. And so medical records are typically kept for 10 years. If you hear about this program and think, oh, yeah, well, I had cancer back in the 80s, it might be really difficult for that person to find medical documentation if they didn't keep it themselves. So that also is a barrier for folks that are trying to apply for compensation. Another issue with the law is that it doesn't cover all of the areas exposed to radiation from nuclear testing. Many downwinders, that is, people downwind of testing sites, live in areas of Clark County, Nevada, and Mojave County, Arizona, that aren't covered by the RECA, but were still exposed to radiation. Here, we return to Colin Patillo. My father uh, was Eddie Dean Patillo. He was born here in Kingman in 1939. And when he was around the age of 12 to 13, the uh, United States government started above-ground nuclear testing at the Nevada test site north of Las Vegas. And if memory serves me right, as the crow flies, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 miles south of there. My family, my father in particular, uh, has been greatly impacted by the uh, negligence of the uh, federal government. Uh, during that time from 1952 to 1962, when they had all of the above ground testing. My father had cancer on three separate occasions, all of which are uh, listed as some of their criteria cancers that if you were covered by the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, would be covered automatically by that act if uh, Southern Mojave County was, was covered. Patillo has fought to get his family and other downwinders covered for years. He helps run a nonprofit organization, Downwinders of Mojave County, that, for administrative reasons, was forced to pause operations. It was formed so that uh, the group of Downwinders, which included my father and some of his classmates from the Kingman High School class of 1957 and others in the community, could have a central organization to advocate on their behalf with Congress, state politicians, whoever would listen. Uh, for uh, coverage of Lower Mojave County under the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. It never did have a lot of money to do much with, other than it kind of acted as kind of a central focus for a a loose organization of people that uh, felt they had had been wronged. And it was mothballed around 2016, 2017, but it's uh, currently dormant. You could call, you know, whoever I'm with the Mojave County Downwinders Incorporated, gives you a little more credibility when you're talking to politicians and everyone else. It was used as a way to get publicity for the uh, plight of the downwinders around the Kingman and Southern Mojave County area. 
politicians like Congressman Paul Gosar and Greg Stanton, who tried to expand the law. Patillo says his father is one of many who've passed away without coverage. He died in April 2022. Getting RECA assistance isn't the end of the story. The law, passed in 1990, provides very specific monetary benefits to affected individuals. Taylor explains. Right now, downwinders can only get 50,000. Uh, On-site participants get 75,000 and uranium workers get 100,000. Uh, there's a push to up the compensation level to 150,000 across the board. There's also within that bill a provision that would allow for all of Arizona, all of Nevada, all of Utah to be covered. Jean Bishop is a downwinder living in Mojave County, and because she lived for a short time in a covered area, she received RECA money. She said the money helped her pay for health insurance. I mean, $50,000 when, when you're looking at medical expenses from the exposure and, and the cancers that uh, many of my family members and friends got. $50,000 doesn't even cover the deductible if you have insurance. If, if you don't have insurance, um, it, it probably would not pay for, for uh, enough to compensate for losing your, your home and your, your livelihood and paying the medical bills to the hospitals and the clinics and the after treatment and, uh, and handicaps if you become a survivor and, and you have long-lasting results from this illness. So. But it shows, it shows the government is uh, trying to be responsible. And I, I think that's what a lot of downwinders really want. Uh, besides the compensation they help with their, their medical bills, they, they want the government to say, we knew we were doing wrong at the time, um, and we take responsibility. The compensation was, was certainly helpful. At the time, I did have insurance, and, and it, it did take care of most of the deduct deductible for me, but uh, I caught my cancer early on, and so the treatment didn't go into chemo. I was able to um, have the surgery and, and, and get by with just radiation, which is a, a lot more cost-effective as far as treatment. And, and I know the government can't pay for the loss of hundreds of, of people that have suffered. But, you know, somehow I just feel that they keep putting off, expanding the coverage in the hopes that this is just going to go away or the, or the, the victims of this compensation requests will just die off. Sad as it sounds, it kind of feels that way sometimes. Just, just wait them out, and they're old now, and most of the people affected by this radiation have already died. I'm probably one of the younger ones because I, I was an infant at the time, but I hope that's not what's happening, but some of us believe that. RECA recipients often don't receive medical care that costs exactly the amount they're given. Because of this, many still have to foot the bill for thousands of dollars of treatment treatment for medical conditions they suffered through no fault of their own. Here's Patillo again. I think it's very important for your listeners to know that there's an entire generation that lived in Kingman, Arizona and Southern Mojave County during the 50s and 60s, an area that was very sparse and rural, consisting of uh, blue collar workers, a few white collar workers, and a lot of ranchers. And they were harmed by the federal government they weren't told what was going on. They were told everything was safe. 
and what was done to them has killed many of them. It's killed my dad. And there's absolutely not even a, a, a we're sorry coming from the federal government. There's not a, oh, we didn't know, which I can't believe they didn't know. They had already had studies done by that time on the impacts of radiation to the people of Japan. So they knew, yet they were detonating this material 120 miles north of Kingman, Arizona, where kids went to grade school and families lived and were carrying on their lives during the Cold War and they were sacrificed. As it exists now, protection and assistance for Arizonans exposed to radiation is severely lacking, and affected individuals still slip through cracks in the system. Some need more money, some need coverage in general, and some just want the people who caused them suffering to take responsibility. The RECA was due to expire in 2022, but was temporarily extended. As it stands, the law will sunset in June 2024. You just listened to the Here Arizona Inaccessible podcast. That's H-E-A-R Arizona. This episode featured the Union of Concerned Scientists and Downwinders of Mojave County. Find more information about these and other Arizona nonprofits on our resources page at hearearizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of KJZZ, part of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College. This episode was reported, written, hosted, and edited by me, Nate Boyle. Thank you for listening.